0: My name is Jake. I'm, I'm one of the pastors here. Um, we're we're so thankful for um, for a time this morning. Uh, Merry Merry Christmas. Um, happy Happy New Year. Um, and uh, it's good it's good that we are starting a new year. Today is the the last day of 2023. Um, This morning we're going to be continuing in the book of Matthew, Uh, so uh, if you have your Bibles, uh, go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 3. Um, if you don't have a Bible, there is a Bible in the front of the seat in front of you. Um, if you don't own a Bible at all, if you don't have one at home, uh, take this one. This is, this is our gift to you. We want you to have a Bible that you can read on your own and study and, and mark up and, 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 and read each and every day. And so if you don't have a Bible, please take this. This is, this is for you. Um, how many of you already have your Resolutions uh, set and ready to go for tomorrow. Not a single person. Okay, maybe one in the back. Okay, um, one. Um, well, uh, good luck. Um, it's not. It's not a bad thing uh, to set a resolution. Often it can be a good thing. But even, even as we uh, think through and sing about, all glory be to Christ. Consider your resolutions, and and does it bring more glory to Christ? Does it grow you in your love for Christ? Um, if you're looking for Just a quick side note, if you're looking for good examples of resolutions, uh, Jonathan Edwards, a a pastor uh, in the 1700s, wrote uh, something like 60 different resolutions. Um, You can just Google them. They're all online. Jonathan Edwards uh, resolutions um, where he resolves to do a bunch of different things like study the scriptures more and um, uh, continue to love God more. So I'd encourage you to look at those. Um, but uh, may twenty twenty four may we grow exponentially in our love for our Savior and our faithfulness to our God. And so with that in mind, uh, we're going to dive on into Matthew chapter three. So would you please stand uh, as we read Matthew chapter three? We stand every every week as we read the scriptures uh, out, out of reverence and and respect and awe and honor for God and and this is God's word and so we uh, we stand uh, as a uh, uh, as an effect of that. So uh, Matthew chapter one, I'm sorry, Matthew chapter three, starting in verse one. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Pre- uh, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this uh, is he who was spoken by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Now, John wore a, ca- a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and the Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, you broad of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath to come, bear fruit in keeping with repentance." And do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as as our father. For I tell you, God is able to raise uh, from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now, the axe is laid to the root of the tree. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into his barn. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, would you you be with us this morning? Would you... Bless us as we are your, your people who have gathered together to worship you and, and to hear your word, Lord. Of course, you, you, you tell us uh, that your word does not go out and return void. It, it, it accomplishes all that you wish it to accomplish, Lord. So would you lead us in your word this morning? Holy Spirit, would you move this morning in our hearts? Would you change us? Would you, would you please not leave us the same Lord, would my, would my words uh, be of you? Would Holy Spirit, would you be using my words as you have used and done your work in my, in my preparation for this morning? Lord, would you continue that work uh, this, this morning? Lord, open our hearts, bless our time together, be with us this morning. Do not leave us the same, change us by your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. So in the blockbuster movie, uh, The Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers, the battle of Helm's Deep was raging. It had gone throughout the night. It was raining all throughout the night. We don't know anything about that. The armies, the armies under the evil Saruman had overrun the fortress and all hope was lost as the remaining survivors had holed themselves up in the keep. The door was being battered down. It was only a matter of time before they were all were killed. Theoden, the the, the king, looked around at his imminent defeat, and in a sorrowful demeanor, he said, "How, How did it come to this? Then our heroes are reminded of a promise that they heard five days before. Look to my coming on the first light of the fifth day, at dawn, looked to the east. The battle had been hard fought all night, but now the sun was rising. Help was on the way. Shortly thereafter, on, on a hill to the east, Gandalf appeared with thousands of soldiers, and they all came rushing down a hill with the sun behind them, blinding the dark army, the evil dark army of Saruman, the the rest of our our heroes charged out of the keep and met Gandalf, trusting in his promise that he would arrive. The battle was won, and the enemy was destroyed. And what happened in this fantasy story in some way reflects the spiritual truth of the gospel, that light will come in and defeat the darkness. The kingdom of God is coming into this world, is breaking into this world, destroying the kingdom of the evil world that we live in. The kingdom of God is coming in, it's, it's removing sin and fixing everything that is broken. And this is the message we hear from John this morning. And it's not all that different from that promise given to our heroes in the battle. The king is coming, and the kingdom will surely follow. We pick up in John I'm sorry in Matthew chapter three. Uh, it's about 30 years later, after the Christmas story, story so we've jumped ahead 30 years from, from last week, and we are entering into Jesus' ministry as an adult. But before Jesus comes on to the scene, we are introduced to a man named John. He comes before Jesus, and we're going to highlight basically three aspects of this man named John the Baptist. We're going to highlight uh, his, uh, uh, who he is, what he says, and how are we are to respond. So we're going to look at the voice, the message, And then the response this morning. By taking a look at John the Baptist, we're going to better understand our Savior, Jesus. And so, first, the voice. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, voice crying of one, uh, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord and make his paths straight. Now, John wore a cam- a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist. And his food was locusts and wild honey. Really quickly, kids, uh, locusts are basically giant grasshoppers. So he's eating giant grasshoppers. I'll let you enjoy that for a moment. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region around the Jordan were going out to him, and they were being baptized by him in the river Jordan and confessing their sins. John the Baptist appears. And there are a few observations that, that the Matthew gives about this man that we should note. Uh, first, first, his name is John the Baptist. And don't be misled into thinking uh, John the, John is a Baptist in the same sense that Timberline is a Baptist church, and all of us here are Baptists. No, John isn't the first Baptist minister, but rather he gets the title for what he does. He, he's a Baptist. He, he baptizes people. Probably a better understanding is to call him John the Baptizer because that's what he does. He baptizes, um, but uh, John the Baptist is good too. Now, the text says that John came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Literally, the text seems like he just appeared out of nowhere. And we know from the the, the Gospel of Luke that's not entirely the case, but it it seems as if he just kind of appeared one day in the wilderness. He's not a man in the cities, but he is out in the countryside calling people to repent. Not only is he he in the countryside but his clothes were made of camel's hair which by the way that's rough they're not nice that it's not soft it's not comfortable to wear camel's hair and like i mentioned before his food was locusts and honey and the people were out flocking to go out and to see him and i want to ask you would you would you go out and see him it's, it's like this. Uh, what if you were to hear that, hey, did you hear about that, that one guy? Um, he's out in a field out near Tanino, um, and he's wear, wearing really weird clothes, and he's eating bugs, and he's yelling at people. Um, w- would, you, would you go out to see this person outside of Tanino? No, you'd probably call the police. Um, but uh, it says here that uh, everyone was like, yeah, yeah, let's go. Let's go check him out. Let's go listen to him. Jerusalem and all Judea were going out to him. See, there's something crazy that we need to note. John isn't just a a crazy man in a field. From his location in the wilderness, to his clothes, to his diet, to the content of his message, John is incredibly similar to the Old Testament prophets. Especially the prophet Elijah. In Malachi uh, chapter 4, God says that he will send the prophet Elijah before the great and awesome day of the Lord. And although John does deny that he is Elijah somehow weirdly reincarnated or something like that uh, in the Gospel of John, Jesus does later affirm in Matthew chapter 17 that this Malachi prophecy does apply to John the Baptist, that he is the Elijah who is to come before the Messiah. John the Baptist is the forerunner. He comes before to prepare the way for the coming king. He is, he is not the Messiah, but he has come to prepare the way for the Messiah. He is not the light as the Gospel of John talks about, but he has come to testify about the light. He is laying the foundation for the coming king. And, and this is actually, actually a, a very common uh, thing in ancient Near East culture. When, when a king or someone of, of high nobility, they would, they would travel. They would always send an, an advanced contingent of a, a group of men ahead to clear the roads, to make sure a tree hasn't fallen in the road. So they would clear the roads. Uh, they would scout out paths through the desert. Uh, they would make it as easy as possible for the coming monarch to travel. Among this, uh, uh, this advanced contingent would be a herald, uh, someone who would come and uh, announce to all the people, hey, someone important is coming, get, get ready, get ready. And then when this advanced contingent would arrive at the final destination, they would make sure um, all of uh, the sleeping quarters and uh, the palaces uh, of that destination, of that city would be prepared uh, for the coming king. And that herald would once again say to that city, to that destination, the king is coming, get ready, prepare yourself. Someone special is coming. Probably the the best example we have in our culture uh, is, of course, the genie in the movie Aladdin. Make way for Prince Ali. Make way, here he comes, ring the bells, bang the drums. You're going to love him. Make way for Prince Ali. John is the herald, the forerunner for the coming king. And before we get into the message that he has, I wanted to take a, just a quick look, a quick look at the interjection that Matthew does into this story. Matthew's the, the narrator, and he's speaking. John comes on the scene. Uh, but then he says, Matthew, uh, for this, uh, this is Matthew speaking, for this is he who has spoken. So Matthew steps in, and he quotes from the prophet Isaiah. And he says that this prophecy from Isaiah is about John the Baptist. And often, as as we read in the New Testament, uh, we come across many of these Old Testament uh, prophecies, these quotations. And let's be honest, many of us just skip right over it and keep on going. Um, But I encourage you, in 2024, don't skip over the quotations. Uh, but I encourage you to stop. Many, many of your Bibles um, down in the footnotes or in the concordance along the spine, they have the, the the location of where this quote is coming from. So I encourage you as you're reading through your Bible, stop, go, go back, go back to this quote and see uh, what it says. And so this quote is from Isaiah chapter 40. So we're going to do that uh, for just a moment. So keep your finger in Matthew. And flip back to Isaiah chapter 40. It's just uh, a few pages uh, to the left in your Bibles. It's in the Old Testament. Flip back to Isaiah chapter 40. It'll also be on the screen. And so what we know from Matthew here is that this this prophecy applies to John the Baptist. Now, the original readers of Isaiah, they didn't know that, uh, but Matthew tells us that that is the case, and so we have a fuller picture uh, for this prophecy. Isaiah chapter 40, I'm going to pick it up in verse 3, and again, as we read this, have in your mind John the Baptist who is preparing the way for Jesus. A voice cries in the wilderness: Prepare the way of the Lord; make a straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill be made low, and uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain, and all and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. And a voice says, "Cry." And I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like a flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. See, Isaiah is is coming, and he is prophesying that the, the, the forerunner will be the one to say the king is coming prepare the way of the Lord Yahweh himself is coming and the herald is is going to come and and lift up the valleys and and make the mountains low and make the rough places plain and smooth now John John doesn't fulfill this prophecy in a literal way he's not coming with dynamite blowing up mountains and making things smooth no it's not a physical fulfillment but he comes to smooth over the spiritual condition of the people to prepare the hearts and minds for the people of the people for the coming king the lord comes with might his arm rules he will tend his flock like a shepherd he will gather lambs into his arm the glory of the lord shall be revealed john is heralding to the people that the glory of God is coming, get ready for it. Let's flip back to Matthew. So John comes to prepare the world for the coming Messiah. He goes first to kind of till the soil, uh, to smooth things out, to make the world suitable for the coming King. Now, as John is the forerunner, let's let's take a look now at the, the message he communicates. The message he communicates uh, that the, there's a good news of the coming king. So let's see what he says. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is coming. This message is, is proclaimed in all four gospels. John says it here in chapter 3. When Jesus begins his ministry at the end of chapter 4, he will say the exact same thing. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This is what John is saying. The king is here, and he is bringing the kingdom. The kingdom of God is invading this world. Now, Now, we tend to think, We tend to think of the gospel as as sin and justification on the cross, and and the gospel is that, absolutely is the gospel that, uh, but it is so much more than that. Actually, Jesus primarily teaches not on justification, but he teaches on the kingdom of God. Most of his parables reveal to us some aspect of this coming kingdom, how it grows, how we experience it, what it will be like we tend to think of Christianity as, all right, I I believe in Jesus, and so when I die, I go to heaven. However, what we see here, not only with John, but we'll see throughout the entire book of Matthew, is not that when we die, we go to heaven. No, the kingdom of God is heaven coming to us. Jesus is the king, and he is bringing a new rule and a new order to things. Consider the world we live in. The Bible tells us that this world is under the domain and kingdom of the evil one. Ephesians tells us that the whole world is following the prince of this world. The spirit of this world is disobedience, and that we are people of wrath. Satan is the prince of darkness. And all of the world is under his kingdom, and due to sin, we are all by nature in rebellion against God. How many of you have become weary of watching the news? It's all negative all the time. That's not because the news is negative, but that rather our world is in darkness. We devour and murder one another. Our governments fight with one another. People take advantage of one another. Look out into the world, and it's clear things are not the way it's supposed to be. Consider what Satan says when he tempts Jesus. The devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of this world and their glory, and he said to Jesus, all these I give to you, and and, and Luke adds, because they are mine. If you will fall down and worship me satan owns this world and this world is in darkness however the kingdom of god is breaking in the king is invading there is a new ruler coming and he is coming to destroy the works of the devil and the effect of sin and everything will be made right again the curse of sin will be removed One commentator says this with Jesus' healings, the eschatological inbreaking of the kingdom of heaven has come to earth. Heaven's lack of death, mourning, crying, or pain is at hand. The curse is being buried. Satan's head is slowly being crushed under Christ's heel. When Jesus came to earth, it was an invasion. It was an invasion into hostile territory. The first coming of of Jesus is the D-Day invasion from the beaches of the manger in Christmas. The kingdom will spread throughout the entire earth, throughout the entire enemy territory. There is nothing that can stop the spread of the kingdom of God because the king is Jesus. And he will not lose. Satan will be thrown down like lightning and he will lose and the gates of hell will not withstand the onslaught of the kingdom of God. Amen? Amen. John says that the kingdom of God is at hand. It is here the reign of God will continue to advance and spread throughout the world. From Matthew chapter 3 onward throughout all of history, the good news of the kingdom of God spreads. It will spread through the gospel to all corners of the earth. And as Nick mentioned last week, the beginning of the end is here because the king is here. Jesus is reversing the power of sin and the effect of sin in our world. And Now the kingdom, of course, has not come in fullness. That will happen at the return of Jesus. So there's still sickness. There's still death. But as the kingdom grows, the gospel spreads and is received, lives are made new, lives are changed, people will love God and trust in God and trust in him and as a result their actions will be good and right and true. The kingdom of heaven is at hand and God is going to take action. All things will be made right. Jesus changes everything. It is worth noting that the kingdom of heaven is not a political kingdom. The king is not coming to set up a government rule on the earth. He is not coming to overthrow the Romans. We see throughout the Gospels that everyone is wanting Jesus to overthrow the government. Herod is is afraid of Jesus, of this new king, so he uh, 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 kills all the children in Bethlehem. Even Pilate asks him if he is king of the Jews Everyone, including his disciples, is expecting Jesus, expecting this coming king to create a new political kingdom here on earth. But the the kingdom of heaven is not a political one. It's a spiritual one. He is coming to remove spiritual wickedness and sin, triumphing, triumphing over spiritually dark hearts. He's not coming to sit on a throne on earth, but Jesus is currently on the throne in heaven. And he's in command and control of all spiritual realities of this universe. The message that John gives is that the kingdom of heaven is at hand, and righteousness and glory shall be known on the earth. And we're going to hear more about the, the nature of this kingdom, uh, what it is like through the many parables of Jesus as we continue out throughout the book of Matthew. Jesus will talk about the kingdom extensively. But let's focus a little bit more this morning on what John says. John is the forerunner. He's giving us a warning of this king that is coming. And he tells us to prepare. So I want to ask you, how do you you prepare? This king is coming. How do you prepare? What is our response to this coming king? If If you knew an invasion was coming, how would you prepare? And John tells us. We prepare for this coming kingdom through repentance. The kingdom of heaven is at hand, so therefore, repent. Prepare, we prepare for this coming kingdom through repentance. And to repent means to turn, to completely 180-degree turn, to change directions, to literally think differently, to act differently, to live differently. An example of this: um, When I was in college, uh, we uh, were taking a trip. We're on a retreat. Um, Abigail was with me along with about eight other students and two adult admins. And we're driving down this this dirt road in the middle of the mountains, following a GPS. And uh, before phones could do it, you had this little kids, you had this little GPS thing that you would mount on your windshield. Did anyone have one of those? Um, before that, they used maps, but we're not going to get into that. Um, <laughs> And so we're following this GPS and we're following this blue line on the GPS. Uh, One of the adults was driving um, and we're driving along and all of a sudden uh, it tells us to take a a left turn. Okay. So so we take a left turn down this dirt road um, and as we're driving down this dirt road, eventually we start to see our little arrow go this way and the blue line go this way. And so we're starting to spread. Now, the adult driving the car was convinced we were on the right road, and um, it was dark. It was scary. The road suddenly started to get rocky, um, and really, there was some loose dirt. It was not a good situation. It didn't seem like there was any human around for miles, but still, we're going down this dirt road. Everyone in the car is like, this is not going to go well. All along, that blue line just keeps getting further and further away. Uh, eventually, uh, and, and by the way, we're, we're not doing this in Jeeps. Uh, we're doing this in sedans. Um, and so we're bouncing around on this dirt road. Uh, at one point, uh, one of the sedans gets stuck, and we had to all get out of the car and push it uh, to get it out uh, from these from this rocks uh, that it got stuck in. Um, and then at some point, we realized maybe we took a wrong turn. And now we needed to go back up that hill that we just drove down. Repentance is is something similar. Realizing you made a mistake. Realizing you made a mistake and to turn around. And that's the idea that John is trying to communicate. The kingdom is coming. Repent. The kingdom is coming. Change your ways. Scripture gives us a a picture uh, of what this repentance looks like. Isaiah 55 verse 7 says, Let the wicked forsake his ways, literally repent. Let the wicked forsake his ways and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him. Repentance is forsaking the way that you were going. And for a moment, consider the way you are currently going. Consider the things you are doing, the thoughts that you have. Are they of God? If not, forsake them and return to the Lord. Amen. Repentance includes confession. We see that here in Matthew chapter 3. Uh, but Psalm 32 says, I acknowledged my sin to you and I did not cover my iniquity. Proverbs chapter 28 says, whoever conceals his transgression will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. 1 John 1.8, if we say we have no sin, then we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us from our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Take time. Take time in repentance and confess your sins before God. Turn away from the way you were walking. And this message is not just for non-Christians. Five of the seven churches in the book of Revelation are called to repent. These are Christians who are called to repent. Christians need to be continually in a state of repentance, turning away from their sinful actions and casting their hope on their savior. As we've heard Nick say many times the life of a Christian is the life of repentance. Christian, what what do you need to repent of today? Now John at the end of this section, he converses with the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And in his response to them, he he gives us more detail, he gives us more detail of what he means by repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And we get kind of uh, a flushing out of more uh, more examples of what he means and what this looks like and how we are to respond. And so what I wanted to do with our, with our remaining time this morning is to pull out a few elements of John's uh, message to the Pharisees and how we are to respond in uh, the kingdom with repentance. The first element that should lead us to repent from John is we... We are in the wrong kingdom. The king is coming, and we're in the wrong kingdom. We are in the kingdom that is against the king. We need to change our ways in order to be included into the kingdom of God. And now I know, I know the word repent is very unpopular in 2023. It brings to mind, for many of us, preachers on the street corner yelling at people as they walk by. It brings to mind fire and brimstone and judgment and anger. It brings to mind bigots who just don't want me to live the life the the way that I want to. People don't like being told they are wrong. I mean, honestly, do, do, do you? I don't. But this is the message of John. And the first step in repentance that is required, we are in the wrong kingdom. You are doing that which is wrong. You are rebelling against God. Your ways are not his ways. If we're going to get anywhere, we have to start there. If you have not repented, if you have not trusted in the coming King Jesus, you are in the wrong kingdom. If you have not repented of your sin, then you have not prepared adequately for the coming kingdom. And the first step in repenting is acknowledging you're in the wrong kingdom. This is an unpopular reality. I know everything within me as a people pleaser is saying, hey, don't, don't say this, Jake. Don't say this, Jake. If you have not repented, then your current spiritual state is in rebellion to the king. Remember, Jesus is invading a dark world, and that dark world includes us. Change your allegiance to the king. Next element of John's message we need to consider, entrance into the kingdom is not based on lineage. John remarks in verse 9, do not presume to say that we have Abraham as our father, The Jews relied on lineage and ancestry. They did not love God. Their salvation relied entirely that they belonged to the Jewish nation. Don't make the same mistake. Listen to me. Inclusion into the kingdom of God is wholly conditioned on one's response to the king. You are not in the kingdom of heaven based on who your parents were. You are not in the kingdom because you're a citizen of the United States or because of any cultural identity that you have. You are not in the kingdom of God because your roots in this country go back to before the Civil War or if your parents brought you over here as a kid. You are not in the kingdom whether you're a Republican or a Democrat. You might have generations that have believed in Christ. Praise God for that. It does not save you. You are not in the kingdom of heaven because you are white or black or Hispanic or Asian. Paul says in Acts 17, when he's talking in Athens, the time of ignorance God has overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. We gather together each Sunday morning together as one church, as one people. But God saves individuals. And you cannot rely on someone else's faith. You have to have your own faith in this king. And honestly, this is one of the beautiful things about Christianity, is it not? There is nothing barring you from coming to faith other than your own heart. You are not barred from the kingdom of heaven because you're too poor or not intelligent enough. You're not barred because of your ethnicity There is incredible equality with Christ. Everyone who comes to the king comes in the same way through faith. Both the wealthy and the poor are saved through faith. The intelligent and the uneducated are saved through faith. Male and female are saved through faith. Inclusion into the kingdom of God is wholly dependent on one's response to the king. The next element of John's message is repentance comes with fruit. In order to know whether or not you have repentance or have repented, there needs to be a change of heart and action along with it. The effect of repentance is a changed life. Verse 8, John says, bear fruit in keeping with repentance and that the trees need to have good fruit in verse 10. And in verse 12, it's the wheat that are gathered into the barn. What separates the wheat from the chaff? The the fruit of the wheat. Does your repentance actually come with a change of life? Do your actions change as a result of your repentance? True repentance means you turn completely from your sins. You cannot be sorry for your sins and yet persist in them. You cannot claim to be a Christian and continue to do the actions of someone who does not believe in Jesus. 1 John 2 4, whoever says, I know him, whoever says, I know Jesus, but does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. Do you show repentance in your life? Even if you have been a Christian for years, are you constantly repenting for the sin? In your life. If you have not shown the fruit of repentance, you may not have prepared adequately for the kingdom. The next element of John's message is repentance is required immediately. Throughout throughout John's message, there is an urgency to it. The kingdom of heaven is at hand, which is another way of saying it's coming, it's here now. Even now the axe is laid, and this is not in the sense of somebody set down an axe next to a tree. No, the axe man has come, and he has placed the edge at the root and is ready to strike. He who is coming uh, has the winnowing fork in his hand currently, ready to separate the wheat from the chaff. The king is coming, and the kingdom is coming right now. There is no sense in John's words... That the king will wait until we have repented. No, he is coming whether or not we are prepared. He is not waiting. Many of Jesus's parables about the kingdom allude to this idea. Uh, for example, like the 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 um, the virgins who did not have enough oil for their lamps, and then we're not ready. We're not prepared for when the bridegroom came and we're locked outside. So do not. Do not delay. Do not delay in your repentance. Do not say to yourself, I, I've got time. I will deal with it in the future. I will deal with it when so-and-so happens, when so-and-so happens. I will get with God. I will get right with God in the future. Once I feel like it, then I will. Christ will come again. With a shout and a trumpet, the heavens will be peeled back and King Jesus will come riding on a white horse in victory. And if you have not prepared, that will be a terrifying day. Hebrews 10 says that in a little while, the coming one will come and will not delay. The last element of John's message, the kingdom of God will be a sinless kingdom. Oh, how beautiful will that kingdom be when there will not be any more lying, nor abuse, nor oppression, nor partiality, no more anger, no more effects of sin. They will be removed completely. Everything that is wrong will be undone. That will be such a beautiful day. The kingdom of God is here now, and we see that Hope for a future kingdom when it comes in fullness. But here now, sins are forgiven, relationships are restored. In the church is a place where we most clearly see the kingdom, where forgiveness flows like a river, and love of God and joy in God like a flood. See, the kingdom of God is a sinless kingdom. Through repentance, our sin is removed. When we repent, and confess our sins uh, to Jesus and ask him to forgive us for the things we have done wrong. He is faithful and just to forgive us. He will surely do it. Christ removes the guilt and shame of sin. And we continue to live in lives of righteousness and holiness. We live in the kingdom of heaven with joy because our sin is removed. The kingdom of heaven is a sinless kingdom because sin is is removed. And John tells us here that ha- that happens in two ways. Either sin is removed through repentance or the sinner is removed from the kingdom. Either your sin is placed on Jesus, killed on the cross and through faith or the sinner will be cast out from the kingdom. Those who do not prepare for the coming king do not remain in the kingdom. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. His winnowing fork is is in his hand. He will clear the threshing floor and gather the wheat into his barn, and the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Those who do not repent, those who do not prepare for the coming king and show the fruit of repentance will be cast out of the kingdom. Those who remain in rebellion against the king will be treated as the rebels they are. Jesus echoes these statements throughout the gospel. Timberline Church, hell is a very real place. It is unquenchable, a fire that does not end. And it is a place for those who do not repent and put their faith in King Jesus. Heed, John's words here. Listen to John's words here. So many have not. When the king comes, those who do not bear fruit in repentance will be cut down and thrown into the fire. Timberline, King Jesus is coming. And he is bringing a kingdom, and how we respond to him is of utmost importance. How we prepare for him is of utmost importance. However, the beautiful beautiful thing about our king is he did not come initially as a conquering king to slay all the sinners and rule over the earth. King King Jesus did not come to throw sinners into the fire. The Gospel of John tells us that Jesus did not come into the world to judge the world, but to save the world. He could have come, and he had the right to come and judge us the moment he arrived. But he came not only to proclaim the kingdom of God is at hand, but to provide the means for us to enter that kingdom. On the cross, Jesus bore our sins in his body that we might be forgiven and a relationship with God might be restored. He has paid the ransom for our rebellious ways with his own blood. He could have called legions of angels to come to his side, but instead he chose to remain silent, treating others as more important than himself. Out of supreme grace and love, he considered us as more valuable than himself and he went to the cross to pay for our sins he has not condemned us for our rebellion but shockingly he bore our rebellion on himself on the cross so that we could enjoy life in his kingdom forever that that is our king a king who comes with grace and truth and mercy and everlasting kindness Prepare for this king. Believe in this king. Trust in this king. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we we are humbled uh, by what you have done for us, that even though we were yet sinners, Lord, you you have died for us, that you pursued us, um, and have made things right um, at great, great cost yourself. Father, change us, mold us into your image, help us to rejoice in you and all that we do, that you may have the glory and honor as is due as our Creator and our Savior. Lord, we praise you for all that you are. In Jesus' name, amen.